These are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Captain's Log Stardate 2021. Today we focus on rebirth and renewal. No, that's not right. Computer. Overwrite Captain's Log Stardate 2021. Okay, let's try this again. No, wait. Uh, don't record that. Computer. Overwrite Captain's Log Stardate 2021. Okay, let's try this again. No, wait. Uh, don't record that. Computer. Captain? Why, what is it, Spock? Sir, you seem a bit... Dumb, fine. I'm just, I'm trying to record my captain's log for the Earth and New Year, and it's just, I mean, I'm not... It's hard to know what to say. Yes! Uh, where did I put that Kleenex box? Oh, there goes your blown glass Klingon blood wine paperweight. Oh, well... I have about a dozen from General Martok. So we'll just take one out of storage. Tissue, sir? Thank you. Shall we start the pod? Perhaps the captain's log can wait. <sighs> yeah, uh, maybe you're right, Spock. Just this once, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I love the just this once. Hi, friends at home. I'm Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini writer and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and there's a lot happening in the world. Yeah, there really, really is. Uh, just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we're therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. So, uh, Spock, old friend, once again... Our intentions to do a certain episode were thwarted by the events of our uh, swiftly tilting planet. Ooh, that's a, I like that reference. That's a hat tip to our own chapter title in the Starship Therapies book. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you you just you think you're you're going to talk about Gandalf. And then um, the world kind of implodes and you're like, you know what? You know, I don't need a sage right now. I need a child archetype. Aw, that's so well said, sir. Thank you. You know, because sages are great for many things. And I think like of our pantheon of sages, Gandalf attempts to be the most playful. Um, he is quite playful. Yeah. But even a Gandalf on his most playful day. It's just not the same as a baby Yoda or a baby Grogu on their mm -hmm. most exuberant of days. Mm -hmm. Well, right, because children are just awe-inspiring, right? Even, <laughs> even as they are chaotic evil, which ever since we talked about that, I have made mention of it on numerous appearances and just like chaotic evil or children in particular being like children being chaotically evil i've brought it up 
several times. And every time people are like, you know, I hadn't thought of it, but I think you're right. And I did. You know, I I gave you the credit. I was like, you know, Larissa brought this up and I disagreed. But then I thought about it. I was like, no, you're right. Well, and this is why on the Starship Therapize, it's a it's a team event. There's not just like one person. It's not a runabout. It's a ship. And to, you know, mm -hmm. to run a ship, you need more than one one person. Mm -hmm. Team mm -hmm. sport. It's a team sport. <laughs> uh yes so if you were hoping to tune in today and hear about gandalf don't worry we will talk about him again it just today was not that day no and i mean like maybe the next step will be about gandalf and also friends maybe it won't um <laughs> the inauguration we're... is between this episode and the next episode <sighs> I know. I was I was mindful of that this morning when I was like thinking through things. So Oh and you know, we're recording this, but this is gonna drop the day after the inauguration. So I I mean just blanket apology if all hell breaks loose on inauguration day and then this ep drops and you're like, How can you possibly talk about Grogu on such a day? Be like, it hadn't happened yet. Time's right. weird. And and perhaps time is so weird. And I don't know, perhaps for some of you, you're going to be like, thank goodness there's something else to listen to and think about. Mm-hmm. Because um, breaks are important, too. Um, yeah, breaks are They're an important too. part of, like, how we maintain engagement and the ability to work for change if we're just, like, doing that. I mean, we can't do that constantly. Our, our physical bodies would break down. So... Not only do physical bodies need rest and relaxation, our minds and our hearts do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I say this to clients quite regularly, that we, we weren't built for the level of stress that we experience on a daily basis. Like, no. our species was not. We, we were created, or we evolved, sure. to... To be able to experience stress, like, ah, a woolly mammoth is chasing me. And then, you know, you fight or fly or freeze. Um, mm -hmm. Or now uh, the stress re researchers also talk about fawning, where you, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. are, are showing, you know, care as a way to get out of the situation. So maybe, I don't know, you pet the woolly mammoth. Um, sure. Perhaps you you offer him some some meat in your your rucksack. Um, I don't know what the <laughs> what the technical term is for like like primal backpacks. Of <laughs> but, <laughs> it's like it's a hide on a stick, like <laughs> like a cartoon hobo. Uh, yeah, and you would just pull from there and you just throw it at the woolly mammoth, and maybe that woolly mammoth would be like, "Yum, a, a saber tooth jerky." I'm like, do mammoths eat me? We would not throw them saber-tooth jerky. We would throw them a bunch of, I don't know, plants that we had gathered for our, our primal our primal herbal tea. And perhaps they were chasing us because we accidentally stumbled upon their, uh, I don't know, holy mammoth gravesite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've really, because I have been using the woolly mammoth example for years. And okay. and really, not a one. 
of my clients has said, you know, Justine, they're herbivores. Why are they chasing me? Um, and I don't know if that's just because my clients are kind people um, or if they also didn't know. Or if it's like a combination and also like the magic of storytelling, like you're a very good storyteller. And so mm -hmm. I think like it's very easy to get caught up in whatever the story is. And then you're just like, well, the story is I'm being chased and I just meet, I have buy in. So what happens next? Mm hmm. Right. So <laughs> mm -hmm. you're being chased by well, <laughs> back to the point, yeah. which was human beings were not built for the level of stress we have. We were built mm -hmm. to see the woolly mammoth freak out fight flight freeze or fawn mm -hmm. which in the, now we know is throwing herbs um <laughs> and then once you are to safety your body returns to baseline and we mm -hmm. need to have that ability to have have the big rush of stress and then have the release of yes letting stress mm -hmm. go right we um, have that catharsis then we level out go back to baseline mm -hmm. all that good stuff mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we're in not only the 24 hour news cycle, because it's not just 24 hours, it's 24 hours across all media. So you yeah. can, you're not just consuming, you know, Walter Cronkite for 24 hours. It's like, what does this person oh. say? What does that person say? What do those people say? What do, you know? I mean, if we want to get technical, Walter's been, he's crossed over into the collective unconscious for quite some time now. <laughs> <laughs> Really, if you're plugged into Walter 24-7, perhaps you're some sort of medium. And if you are, and you are listening to this episode, we would love to hear what are Walter's hot takes from the collective unconscious. I very much. Um, I very much want to know that. And are mm -hmm. you using a Tesla coil to communicate with him? Um, sure. And if so, could I borrow your Tesla coil to communicate with Walter Cronkite? <laughs> You know, realizing that we have like now adopted this idea of, or we've added our new conception of the collective unconscious in, in our daily conversation, but I don't think that we have explained on the podcast sort of this new angle that we have on the collective unconscious. Oh, you know what's so interesting? I feel like I had because mm -hmm. uh, friends at home, you might not know this, but I guested on a podcast called Victims and Villains recently when I talked specifically about uh mandalorian season two and we started talking about the whole star wars canon and i actually explained mm -hmm. our epiphany moment of realizing yeah. that the force is the collective unconscious so i'm sorry but i i broke i broke that story on another podcast but please well, do break break the story here i mean i feel like you just did it <laughs> the, the metaphorical blood wine paperweight gifted by one general martok um who like fun fact hey this is a complete we're really getting far afield today but like you know that's kind of what we do here um producer and i are watching through deep space nine eh, not something i'd necessarily recommend it's a complicated experience is what I would say it's been for me. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the fun things about it is spending more time with General Martok, who's great. And I also learned that, like, as part of the DS9 canon, he actually becomes the leader of the Klingon Empire. Hmm. I had no idea. I've always just thought of him as a general. This perhaps might not mean very much to you, Captain, because I know that you're not exactly a fan of DS9. Not that you dislike it, but I don't think you ever watched it. 
No, I never watched it. I I gotta tell you, uh, last mm-hmm. night, I I've been doing a lot of appearances, friends at home. Um, yeah. You know, gotta gotta promo that book, right? That's and true. it's not gonna promo itself. <laughs> it's not gonna promo itself. And so this this boisterous braggadocio is making the rounds. Uh, <laughs> I'm and I was on your alliteration in your in your downtime. I see for, for yeah, no, working no, on for it. those appearances. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Got to work on it. Um, and I was on a a panel about Picard. Mm-hmm. The alliteration mm-hmm. continues, and and some of the other panelists were well versed in the in the entirety of Star Trek canon, oh. and I let them know that mm-hmm. my. My love of Star Trek is very big and also very specific. <laughs> yes, that's well said. You know, and I was like, "You, I." They wanted to talk about disco, and I said, much to the chagrin of my very best friend in the world, I have not watched disco, but I would be very happy to sit here and nod compassionately while you all talk about it. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> um, but back to the collective unconscious back to the collective unconscious <laughs> i think that like you did in many ways i mean like it, it is what it sounds like to a certain extent that the mm-hmm. force is this idea of this like on you can't see it with the naked eye the mm-hmm. naked human eye they're never specific on can other creatures actually see it like job of the hut can he see it who knows tbd um ask a dude because of the those are the only people that disney empowered to write stories but like no i'm really getting on a soapbox. So I'm going to step down. I'm going to come back to the main point, which is the force is this, what, like energy force that connects all living beings in Mm -hmm. the universe. And our, our like idea on that is like, well, what if that's just another name for the collective unconscious, which is also Mm -hmm. something that we can't see with human eyeballs that theoretically Mm -hmm. collects, connects all human life and i mean maybe all life who am i to say whether or not a dolphin has a unconsciousness maybe it does i mean douglas adams would say that whales certainly do they they thanked us mm-hmm. for the fish and then they gtf owed <laughs> <laughs> well said so the the forest the collective unconscious pretty much the same thing mhm yeah, and I I can't really remember what we had been talking about where we suddenly had this realization, but um you know, I was thinking about Obi-Wan saying, if mm-hmm. you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you can possibly imagine because he was going to go become part of the collective unconscious, which means anybody oh, could sure. tap into the the wisdom and the archetypal power of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, that's totally how it came about because we were talking about like who owns stories. Mm. no one really because we all mm-hmm. have equal access to that from which stories originate which is the collective unconscious mm-hmm. and i was probably talking about how like it's not fair that disney likes to pretend that they own something but they can't and then you steered us into the more kind of like spiritual fandom realm and thus the realization together that obi-wan returns to the force i.e the collective unconscious becoming more powerful than anyone darth vader or disney <laughs> and allowing 
Because nobody owns the fucking collective unconscious. Right. Allowing all beings to tap into his power and write all mm-hmm. manner of stories featuring one Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. Just great. This podcast should win some sort of award. Yes. I don't know what it would win, but but I agree. We should win something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, certainly it wouldn't be an award for, like, brevity. No, no. Or, uh, stick of the point. That... <laughs> Myopia is something that I wish I don't think we could be accused. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of which, we were going to talk about Baby Grogu, and, mm-hmm. like, before we fully recommit to talking about Baby Grogu... <laughs> I want to acknowledge that, like, we are going to be moving back and forth between a couple of different names for yes, great one mm-hmm. baby. So we are going to be moving with both Baby Grogu, the child, Baby Yoda, sometimes just Grogu, and it's not our intention to misname um, everyone's favorite a little little alien child. It's more to acknowledge that that they have a bunch of different nicknames. Mm-hmm. And that we want to acknowledge those, even as we honor how much, like, incandescent joy it clearly gave to little baby Grogu when his Papa Mando was able to call him by his name. Hmm. And we will continue to move through different pronouns as well. (laughs) Yes, we will. Because, like, while we really acknowledge that... Many of the notably male-presenting and identifying creators and writers on The Mandalorian have gone ahead with the masculine pronoun for one baby Grogu. We mm-hmm. just we just really feel like at this point in the Star Wars universe that they would be post-gender. I, I mean, really, I'm and I know that I haven't watched Disco. But my understanding is that there are trans characters. And why mm-hmm. why haven't we gotten there in Star Wars? Disney. Right. You know, I always talk about how, like, Kevin Feige and I have, you know, some conversations that we need to have. Really, Kathleen Kennedy and I have a lot of conversations that we need to have, too. I feel like you would just, like... <laughs> throw water in Kathleen Kennedy's face and just like flounce out of the room. I mean, it would you, be hard. You'll not meet to, her and you'll just be like, I, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I definitely would have to be um post that like deep meditation that baby Grogu does in the second half of season two of the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Oh, so let's just let's just talk about Let's talk about the joy of this child. So we've already discussed on this podcast uh, the baby Yoda and the the frog lady, and we coined that um, children are chaotically evil. And where where did we move from there? What happened in the rest of season two from where we left off? Um. So that there was those series of episodes. Well, there were, it doesn't matter how many there were. There were like a, a more than a couple, less than several. Um, there's that episode with Ahsoka, who is, mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know if she's, is she still a Jedi? I think so. She's the ex-Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. 
and Mando and uh, the child formerly fully known as Baby Yoda travel to the planet <laughs> that Ahsoka is on. And it's by meeting Ahsoka that they that the two of them are able to learn that, in fact, Baby Yoda's full given name is Grogu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which was very sweet. And mm-hmm. um, there, there's been chatter online with uh, folks in the trans community who felt really mm-hmm. seen by that, which is why we want to give voice to the fact that our our intention is not dead naming. Our intention is nicknaming. Um, mm-hmm. And that we hope little lil alien would be cool with it but we we can't uh we can't ask so well we're going with no, our head cannon. we are we're gonna go with the head cannon where where lil alien is okay with it because <laughs> <laughs> you know that baby just wants that baby just wants some love uh Aww. yeah that's true but ah- Ahsoka well, was real badass, and I was so glad that it was Rosario Dawson and not mm-hmm. Ashley Eccleston, Eckstein, the the lady who runs her universe. Uh, she was the voice of Ahsoka in the uh, Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, Rosario was or Ashley no, was? No, Ashley was. Oh, so Rosario was never the voice? Mm-mm. Huh. No, and pe- and people were kind of pissed. They're like, "Why won't you let Ashley do it?" It's like she's a she's a pretty. I, oh, I don't want to say. I, she's a she's a standard white lady. Hmm. The real standard white lady, and she does a good voice, but I I don't see her like doing that role justice in a live action way well i mean i have to say that like my parts are are just completely thrown in asunder maybe that's the phrase to use hard to know because parts are all conflicted right now because (laughs) i thought that part of the reason that rosario was cast was because she did in fact voice the og character um Mm. And and I had I had very much liked that, and now I'm learning that that was not the case. And so, yeah, I just now now I'm gonna have to spend some time <laughs> reflecting she, and sitting with that. She may have. Did she voice Ahsoka somewhere? Hang on. Um, we did take a moment to converse with our producer just now, um, who prefers to vocally remain anonymous. And he is a longtime fan of the Clone Wars cartoon series. And let us know that while he very much enjoyed Ashley's performance in the cartoon, that to him it very much made sense that like they had to recast because of mm-hmm. the physicality of the role. Um, which isn't even to like go into the realm of like broadening representation and all of those different pieces. Um, mm-hmm. And also hopefully reminded that uh, Katie Sackhoff and one of the other Mandalorians that showed up in the episode, I think just before the Ahsoka app, were voice actors who are also regular actors and were cast in the live action. And part of what allowed that to work is that like they are actors and trained in that piece of it. And mm-hmm. Right. I'm... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't do everything. 
Not not no. every live action star can do voice work and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Rosario really I thought she did a fabulous job. Yeah, mm-hmm. she I yeah, I really I loved I liked her, her I liked her presentation of the character. Um and and her interaction with with little Kroku. And saying that she couldn't train yeah. him because he's too attached to Mando and I was like that's right. Okay, I can see that we have differing opinions which is great. Because <laughs> because yes. for me, I was like okay, here is a Jedi who recognizes that familial attachment is important and valuable mm-hmm. and and is not going to step in and steal this child. <laughs> Hmm. Um, for the greater Jedi good and is accepting that Lil Grogu's on a different path with Mando and, you know, didn't phrase it quite that way because that's not how she talks. But I interpreted it to be like, this, this kid is bonded with you. We're, we're done. I mean, I think there's definitely overlap in how you and I each interpreted this and wrote our mm-hmm. respective renditions in our own headcanon. Um, I, I don't think it's like a super surprise or off book for for listeners to know that I took things in a little bit of a, of a darker, shadowy of realm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I saw it as Ahsoka clearly struggling with PTSD. And that part of why she's on the planet that she's on is that she is now a Ronin. Mm. So she's not interested in being a part of the Jedi Order as a whole. She is a rogue Jedi or a a Ronin, if you will. Um, And that, yes, I agree. I think she's very ambivalent about the Order as a whole. I think Mm -hmm. she's very ambivalent about the whole Master Padawan thing. And with all of that ambivalence, she's like, I don't know if like I'm at a place where I could be somebody's Jedi master, which always makes me think of like being someone's supervisor because of literally therapy. as soon as you were saying that, I was thinking about all of the internship applications I've been receiving. <laughs> right. So this is a, a good opportunity to give folks a little bit of inside baseball about the profession that we're a part of, because especially mm-hmm. if you take more of a mentorship approach to this field with both you and I do, mm-hmm. part of the way it is designed to work is that um, once you get fully licensed, as both you and I are, you go through, depending on your license and the state you live in, you go through an additional training process to become a supervisor. Mm-hmm. Or you live in a state where they don't make you do that. And then do you really have the training to be a Jedi master supervisor? This would be a discussion for another time. Um, both you and I, well, you still reside in Minnesota. I used to. And so initially when we were thinking about becoming supervisors, we had to go through additional mm-hmm. training. Um, you have to have your own supervisors of your supervision, which mm-hmm. you once had. I still have. Um, and all of that is so that you, it is to ensure that like you are ready to take on a mentee. Mm-hmm. which is a person who is working towards licensure and still needs someone to be reviewing their work, talking with them about cases and helping make sure that like they're doing their own personal emotional work to show up fully and safely as therapists. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So it's it is very much a master pad no padawan. Although we do, I wouldn't. The master thing is not a master over the padawan. The master is you're no. a master of the force. Um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, you know, we we started as padawans and worked our way up, and we did. And now we're here. And, <laughs> and now we're here, and yeah, it does feel different. Yeah, no, it it does. It definitely does. Um, I think I was laughing there because I think the way that I sort of envisioned this would be, even though part of me knew better, there was very much a part of me that was like, whoa, by the time that you are supervising, you just like know so many things. You do know so many things. I know. I That's true. I do know so many things. <laughs> <laughs> But I ser- but like part of the process, I think for for me has really been to appreciate that like a huge component of being a master of something is that like you are always working on your craft, mm-hmm. and that part and that like in addition to that, it is the ex- the radical acceptance of knowing that like there's so much that you don't know, and that you need to learn how to like be comfortable with with that. You need to learn mm-hmm. how to like refer out when it's appropriate. Like it's not that like you reach some level of all knowingness. Mm-hmm. And as I'm saying this, it makes me wonder how much Ahsoka understands that herself. Um, in part because I mean, pulling from the cartoons, which I haven't watched a lot of, you know, having Anakin as uh, her Jedi master was a very fraught experience. I can only imagine. And I think resulted in some real attachment damage, despite the fact that the Jedi's, you know, their big shtick is like, we don't attach. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. And so, like, I, I read Ahsoka's, like, feeling really uncomfy about the whole master-apprentice dyad mm-hmm. and being really uncomfortable with this idea of attachment and not really knowing what to do with it. And... That I didn't necessarily read, like, her... I mean, I think she's uh, she's obviously correct that Grogu and Mando have this really strong attachment bond. But I didn't mm-hmm. see her as being like, yay, what a positive thing. I saw her as being like, well, that's an attachment bond, and we all know what happens when you have attachment. Sure. Sure. No, that's fair. Yeah, I, I also didn't read her as being like, yay! But just what I liked about it was, and I see your point... That she kind of didn't want to, she didn't want to get involved. She, you know, if, if Grogu had had a lot of power and was down to help her in her mission, I think she would have been a lot more excited. But it's like, yeah, I can see that, you know, Grogu's got some power, doesn't Mm -hmm. really know how to wield it yet. Going to require a lot of training. Well, was it that or was it that like he had a ton of training? Because, you know, he the, the Jedis at that point had done the thing the Jedis do, which is, like, kidnap babies from their mm-hmm. parents. I'm sort of being hyperbolic here, but also sort of not. No, um, they, they, they steal babies. Yeah, they just steal. They're like, this baby is strong with the Force. It's our baby now. And so they took Grogu from, you know, their their family, wherever that family was, mm-hmm. um, and then just raised them on Coruscant. And it sounded like Grogu got really adept with their powers, mm-hmm. but that due to the trauma of what they went through, that they, they had a really hard time accessing those abilities. And like Ahsoka doesn't say that, that Grogu compartmentalized off 
a lot mm-hmm. of things. But I guess that was the that was the vibe I was getting. That was definitely the the story that I was telling in my head canon. Sure. Well, and when I say training, I like healing. This mm. this kid this kid needs healing. And that's sure. that doesn't mesh with my mission. No. No, it did not. Mm-mm. Also, we know what happens to Jedi who experience trauma and don't deal with it. You know, that might also have been floating right. through her head. Sure. Like, uh, you know what happens to the to the traumatized Jedi who doesn't get Jedi EMDR. <laughs> Which is interesting because, like, I, I she's Ahsoka to me. Really, it feels like it's time. Like, she is, she is coping so well that I mm-hmm. think it would be easy to miss the fact that she herself is decompensating mm-hmm. because she's presenting in such a functional way. Which does happen, I think, still quite a bit for folks who have gone through a trauma and or a series of traumas. Mm-hmm. And actually do have PTSD, but they present as being so functional that they sometimes miss either like they they can't they screen as being as not as not having that diagnosis when in fact they do or they just miss mm-hmm. getting access to certain things because they themselves are like, no, but look, I'm functioning so well. And in some ways, yes, you are. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and we see this a lot in media the yeah. the person who has been traumatized but w- 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 all we're seeing is them on their mission right their mission of like, revenge or redemption or you know right like dean winchester oh. Like, <laughs> oh i'm not ready to talk about that yet no we're not gonna no we're not gonna talk about that mm-hmm. Mm-mm. another time at another time we will but not right now yes but not right now. No, maybe another example of this would be um, Uma Thurman's character, The Bride and Kill Bill. I've never seen that. So great. Talk about that. <laughs> um, it's about a woman who is brutally attacked by her friends and her her partner and slash ex-partner and nearly dies, but then doesn't and then goes on a roaring rampage of revenge and is very, very good at rampaging and roaring but deep down inside needs a lot of healing. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure part of the reason it came to my mind is that like that, uh, that movie similar to this particular episode has some real like old school Kung Fu samurai movie elements to it. Mm, sure. And I, I very much appreciated that about this episode too, that Ronan Rosario Dawson is out there. Not sure about attachment. But then I felt I also felt like too she couldn't quite help herself because Grogu just is so delightful and playful right. and whimsical. And I very much read it as like as they're leaving and they're getting on the ship and Mando's holding Grogu and Grogu's like, yay, I'm good with dad. That like I I read Grogu's expression as being like, and now we're bringing our friend along with us. Oh. Cause it very much for me. Part of what Grogu is attempting to do is assemble chosen family. Right. And so whenever like they encounter someone that like he's really down with, he's like, let's look, our new sister, Ahsoka is coming with, yay. And then when she doesn't, his ears kind of go down. He's like, oh, oh, okay. I don't like this choice, but I guess. 
oh, I can't. That's so sad. I know. And I don't feel quite, I don't feel that same kind of sadness about Aunt Amy Sedaris doing her best Sigourney Weaver hair impression. Because to me, I read that relationship as like, this is your great aunt that you go and visit on a regular basis, but that doesn't live with you. Like my great aunt Helen. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> when I passed out at her funeral. Um, right. I didn't want oh great aunt Helen to come right. live with us. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You visited and then you returned to your home ship. Um, mm -hmm. And like the other Mandalorians are like, you know, like dad's dad's relatives. and You're just not sure about them. <laughs> but, you know, they're <laughs> you know that they're that side of the family. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah. I feel like there are probably other meaningful moments, but in the interest of time, because I'm sure. so, so, so tired. <laughs> Yes, that's fair. Um, we, we maybe want to move along to like the, the final arc, which of course is Boba Fett showing up along with Ming-Na Wen, who's great. Always appreciate her. Mm -hmm. um, Baby Yoda doing, finally doing like their, their big deep meditation. Oh, which was just like, I, I want that tattooed on my body. It was really beautiful, but it was, I had a very hard time like completely appreciating excuse me, the beauty, um, because I knew that they were just going to come and. I was so anxious. I was so anxious. I was like, look how, look how relaxed you are communing with the force. This is terrible. Something terrible is going to happen. It was so bad, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's a shadow parable of the possible negative aspects of mindfulness that you can be so zend out as to miss the danger coming towards you mm -hmm. but i'm just going to notice that on the river of my current consciousness as it continues to flow by um because i want to take us to what for me was easily the most traumatic moment was when they are sort of torturing i don't know why i'm putting torturing in in air quotes that no one can see it's not air quote torturing it's real torture they're torturing <laughs> they're torturing a baby right it's so wrong. It's and, so wrong. Um, we had a short conversation about this on the Victims and Villains podcast around, like, how do they have those weensy little cuffs? Do they have a variety of cuffs for all different size creatures? <laughs> and then I was like, do they Ooh. have cuffs that have, like, eight little cuffs on them for if you get, like, a tentacled creature? <laughs> God. That's dark. Mm-hmm. But they, they're those weensy little cuffs. I know. Yeah. It was so sad. It was very upsetting. And they, yeah, mm -hmm. they, they were hurting, they were hurting our hero. Our perfect little mm -hmm. creature. Yeah. Which, I hadn't thought about it until literally the second as we're talking about it, but there is something interesting to be said around the analogy of hurting the inner child oh sure mm -hmm. well here we go ifs take it away friend <laughs> well the you know the part of us that is often called the inner child gets a bad rep mm -hmm. um yeah. because 
societally because that part is yes. seen as you know unnecessary foolish childish and you know what could be worse mm -hmm. than being childish which i don't agree with but um no you know let's let's harness the power of this inner child for what we need oh gosh for our ends yeah and just who who cares what actually happens to that part of us yeah i mean now i'm it's making me think about conversations we've had both on and off the podcast about ways that we can internalize the oppressor mhm mm and so part of what that can mean sometimes for folks is that um they end up hurting the inner child because they have the part of them that's holding the role of the oppressor, the oppressor, who then hurts the inner baby Grogu inside of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but mm. the but the baby had helpers who who came to the rescue. Said, "That's don't, true. Don't you dare be mean to that inner child." That's true. And I really loved, there were, there were some things about the episode where they have to get the information where Mando and that other dude, and you know, I don't like that dude. Cause I've forgotten his name. I, I forget names for two reasons. One, either I'm keeping too many names in my mind and I can't, or I purposely forget the name because I don't like that person. I liked, and his, this is a case. I liked his little arc. Okay. Oh, fair. Something about it bothered me. Who can say why? It's not important for today's episode. Um, but what is important is that I love that Mando's construct of what he thinks it is to be a Mandalorian is profoundly questioned. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he makes the decision to like take off his Mandalorian armor, which he's not supposed to do. He's he's breaking a rule of, of the cult, you know, the cult to which he belongs. But then by doing that, he's able to honor the deeper, the deeper truth and the deeper value and commitment that he has made to, to baby Grogu mm -hmm. and to himself as a, as a protector of young and innocent life in the galaxy. Yeah. And also you get to see Pedro Pascal's beautiful visage. Yeah, please. More of that. <laughs> yes. Get, get more self-energy, Mando, so we can see more Pedro face. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and it and I hadn't thought of it this way, but it makes sense now that we're here that the Mandalorian is simply a part of the whole of his identity. Mm -hmm. And that means that he doesn't always have to lead from his Mandalorian part. As an aside, folks, if, if somehow this is your first episode to the podcast and you're like, why do they keep talking about parts? It's based in this internal family systems, which posits that consciousness is not unitary. It is multi. So our consciousness is made up of all different kinds of parts. And the leader of the symphony of those parts is the self. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the self has the visage of one Pedro Pascal. And that's a great self to have. It certainly is. <laughs> It is chef, that's a chef's kiss self. A chef's kiss self-visage. I think it is one of the few things that got me through Wonder Woman 1984, which, which I still not haven't enjoy, watched. But Pedro was there, 
And um, I would try to just like block out everything he was doing and just focus on his eyes. <laughs> like, just look at me, Pedro. Just look at me, Pedro. We I, can get through this together. I love how on the internet, he and Oscar Isaac are bros. And they just like post photos of themselves together. Just hanging out. Oh, I know. So beautiful. Yeah, just Pedro and Oscar. Just mm. being bros. <laughs> you know, I bet someone has written some great fanfic about... Uh, oh, oh, I can't even. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. And I bet there's some... Some uh, real person fanfic, too. I I mean, and to that I say go to. <laughs> Just remember that it's thick. Right. It's you, the emotions you feel towards it real. But it's not the same as like real life humans, Pedro Pascal and Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably, right. Um, but since we're talking about... Oscar Isaacs, this gets to um, one of my many problems with the season finale, mm-hmm. which was this. I very much envisioned the Mandalorian being post seven, eight, and nine Star Wars films, in large part because oh. as a person, I wanted to put those behind me. Mm, okay, you didn't realize where this is in canon. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Although like, I'm like, I shudder to even call it canon now because of just how upsetting I found all of this. But yes, I'm, part of how I was like approaching the show is like, this is, we are for, we are moving past what happened mm. in seven, eight, nine. We are, here we are, different area of the galaxy. We're not hanging out with those Skywalkers, which like, ooh, mm, wow. Just so many complicated feelings I have about those Skywalkers now. But then, and like whether or not this is one of those things that I just like missed, just sort of like missed uh, where this was located in canon, the same way mm-hmm. that I just really missed that in the cyberpunk video game, it's all first person. That was another hard message for me because I can't play <laughs> first person video games. They oh, make right. me nauseous. They make you nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, and in pretty quick succession, like, I, I saw the finale of Mando and then I found out about this first person issue. <laughs> was cyberpunk and i was like that's it and my partner was like what does that mean for you that that's it and i was like i don't know that's just it (laughs) you flipped the table of your life i did and i just walked out of the (laughs) one room in which we live (laughs) into the only other room that we live in (laughs) the bedroom office podcast studio that's it i'm leaving the living room (laughs) the living room kitchen slash production office (laughs) Um, yeah fun times um yeah i I did know where this is in canon and that was probably helpful yeah i mean i wondered what that was going to mean for stuff um, and my partner had already been spoilered about the big, the big reveal at the end. Oh, um, sure. And and friends, we are going to give you the big spoiler. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm letting you know, even though it's been a month since this aired, um, 
we just we care about you that much um yeah so through the entire app uh my partner was like who do you think it's gonna be what do you think's gonna happen and i was like i I mean i'm guessing one of the jedi is gonna show up right because you're a you're a wise human (laughs) and then and then like oh one x-wing fighter we're saved like okay Mm -hmm. The Jedi is here, and then the Jedi starts fighting, and he's like, do you know who it is? And I was watching, and I'm like, I didn't say this, but I was like, I mean, I guess it's probably Luke, but that's not very exciting. No. And then I was like, yeah, green saber, and then they start, like, panning up the body, and you see the the one robot hand. It's like, yeah, it's Luke. And then pulls back the hood. And it was deep fake Mark Hamill. (laughs) Yeah, sure was. And I don't know that I had, I mean, it sounds like Phantom's pretty split. Everyone was excited that Hamill's voice was there. Um, But Phantom seems pretty split around the visage. Mm -hmm. Speaking of visages. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess. And this comment is going to let everyone know which side I'm on, I guess. I don't know how you could have a side. Because it is technically quite poor. Mm-hmm. We're just, we're not at a place with the whole CGI bring you back from the dead. Where we can do it without it looking noticeably off. And I'm so confused by that because, like, we mm-hmm. have we have perfectly good de-aging technology, right? Did, I mean, I didn't watch The Irishman, but didn't they, like, de-age De Niro by, like, 30 years? They did, and let me just tell you, I wouldn't say that it was good. <laughs> I would say that it was... It was not as bad uh-huh. as what they did in Rogue One. As an aside, my concern about this technology is that we're moving towards a place where we're just not even going to let actors act anymore. Mm. We're just going to do full body scans of people. And then whatever corporation controls said body scan will just do whatever that entity wants it to do. Um, but that's probably a, a dystopian chat for another day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the empire. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's what happens when like CGI Luke steps on <laughs> all the empire possibilities, just fire. All those parts are like, we have ideas. Um, yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't great in the Irishman. It was it was better than some things, but it it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't great. But like also like just try makeup. Yeah, or well, just uh, have him be old. You know, because it. I mean, he could just be old. I mean, my my guess, my guess is they mm-hmm. really wanted to be true to where this was placed in the canon and. They probably couldn't get Hamill to come to set. You mean because of COVID? Um, I don't know when they were recording this. Maybe because of COVID. 
Or just because he didn't want to come. Mm. You, you got to well, give a lot of money say, for Hamill to go somewhere. You don't have to give as much money well, for Hamill to and, say something. Well, I mean, and, but then it's, we're getting into issues of consent that also make me feel uncomfy. And like, you know, they, they set it in a place in time. They made a choice to set it in a place in time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting lost in the weeds here. The point is, no, thank you, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> in any form, I would have said, no, thank you, Luke Skywalker. I don't know that I would have said no thank you to any form. Um, I did say no thank you to this form. Fair. And I was like, this is just awful. And yeah. then he, and then mm. Luke is yes. like, I am here mm-hmm. and I have come to steal your baby. Uh-huh. Because that's what Jedi do. <laughs> yeah. And mm. and Luke's like, Grogu wants you to say it's okay f- to come with me, Mando. So tell the adorable baby to come with me. Which, like, was it a Jedi mind trick? I wonder. Oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. Even if it wasn't a Jedi mind trick, it was blatant manipulation. Mm-hmm. Because Grogu didn't want to go. Like, mm-hmm. Grogu was like, hey, Luke Skywalker, thanks for visiting and helping. Do you want to be a bit player in my new chosen family? We're multi, <laughs> multi-species here. <laughs> right. Like, oh, you have the force. That's cool. I have the force, too. Let's be force friends. We can play right, force marbles. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And Grogu was looking to... Papa Mando to be like, is it like, is this okay? Like, can we be force friends? Is this Mm -hmm. like, is this cool with you? He was not looking for dad to give him permission to be stolen by CGI Luke Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was so upsetting. And because the message that Luke is giving is Grogu belongs with us. We're Grogu's family. And Mm. And also, like, the Force is a precious commodity. Oh. Is is Mm. the feeling I got. Like, the Force is a precious commodity. We need every Jedi we can get because we don't have many anymore. Mostly because of my my Padawan, who's also my nephew. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag nepotism much. And you know, that's a good point. You probably like, I'm all for Jedi having families and figuring out attachment, totally down mm-hmm. with that. You'd have to like reincorporate the Sith and all. Um, because clearly they're like polarized parts of the self, but like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm moving too fast here. What I really want to say is this in this like vision that I have for these people who are trained in the force where they can mm-hmm. have families, I definitely think it would be important for you to not train family members like you shouldn't be able to take on a family member as your padawan Mm -hmm. right we have that rules in our business we sure do and they're important it's a it's enough of a complication when you have someone come in who's at least one parent was is in the field like there's enough to work through there (laughs) yep yep children of helpers they've 
They've already got enough going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we all have stuff. So this is not calling out parents who are helpers who have children. <laughs> this is just naming that we all have stuff, mm-hmm. different kinds of stuff based on our background. Right. Well, and right. Luke is saying uh, this this baby is a precious commodity that's really important to me. And um, so baby needs to come with me and learn to wield the power for the benefit of what the Jedi order, I guess. Right. Because you know what it is. It's labor extraction. (laughs) (laughs) You're so dark. You're not wrong, but you're so dark. You were setting me up with that when you were talking about it being a precious commodity. I was like, wow, look, it's happening. Um, Yeah. Sorry if you weren't expecting that. (laughs) No, but I I mean, yeah, I guess that's where I was going without going there because that feels uncomfortable. But yeah, it's what are Padawans if not child labor? Right. They have a particular skill set that they are being exploited for. Mm-hmm. And, and they're what really are they... too young to consent. Right. right. And what do they get? Like, what is their reward? Power, I guess. Power, but like, not power that historically, in terms of like thinking about canon, mm-hmm. they had choice over when and how they would wield it. Mm-hmm. Certainly not the ability to like have their own attachments. That was a big no-no. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to this idea that we had at the start of this episode, which is if baby Grogu embodies chaotic evil, mm-hmm. then do the Jedi embody lawful evil? I mean, yeah, feels like it. It's... They're not good it and i mean i no. don't i don't love terms like good and evil um we are but you know right now we are using the model of dungeons and dragons which does embrace good yes. and evil um well and I, and I mean to a certain extent i think the star wars canon does as well mm-hmm. um and one of the things that like you know it's very hard to know what George Lucas was thinking. And it's impossible to know what, like, George and JC were thinking. Joseph Campbell, of course, when they were, like, chatting about the Star Wars idea. Mm-hmm. But I, I think based on just, like, all the research that you and I have done, that this idea of, like, the one who would bring balance to the Force, I think that idea is supposed to encompass something that we see in the collective unconscious, something that we see in mythology, mm-hmm. that we see in stories, right? That, like, to exist is to encounter and embody both. Mm-hmm. And that it is by a dialectical confrontation and conversation of these two things that seem oppositional at times that we can transcend and reach a different place. But the Jedi don't ever really do that they're just polarized from the sith who are very into attachment and emotion but who do really awful things but then so did the jedi right it's i mean the whole sith thing is very confusing um like there can only yeah be one sith two sith 
red Sith, blue Sith. I don't. <laughs> well, then, like depending, because I want to say in the like in some of the video games, there are more Sith. Mm-hmm. But it is it it is very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that quote, you know, only Sith deal in absolutes. But then you have mm-hmm. Master Yoda saying, uh, "Do or do not. There is no try." Like, well, right. It seems like it seems like they are a family mm. in dysfunction. And I love this. Mm-hmm. Each each part of the family believes that they are right and the other yeah. branch is wrong. Mm-hmm. And they need, you know, as much support as they can have in this familial argument. Yes. To ellipses nobody knows what the answer is right because like in any family argument they want to be right but like there's but there's no like okay so what happens if you're right Mm -hmm. well and isn't it interesting that the ellipses is like arguably the most important like what was it punctuation (laughs) (laughs) in all of star wars (laughs) because it always starts with that with the ellipses Mm -hmm. yeah Begins and ends with this ellipses, like, which really speaks to your point that, like, ultimately, where are you going to go arguing family members, mm-hmm. even when you engage in cutoff? And I think a lot of, even in our field, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding about cutoff. Yeah. Even if you are physically cut off from someone such that, like, you no longer directly talk with them in real time IRL. Mm-hmm. You have the memory, the experiences with them that exist inside of you. Mm -hmm. And in the collective unconscious. And in the collective unconscious. And so if you try to fully sever ties, you are trying to cut off a part of yourself. Mm -hmm. And really, when cut off can be most, not just like pragmatic, because sometimes like you do need to make that choice for, for reasons as simple and basic as physical safety. Yep. And... Once you have that physical safety, then the work is figuring out how do you find a way to get into dialogue with those parts of you, those connections that you have with that family member, family members from which you are cut off. Mm -hmm. What can you pass back? What are you going to keep? What can you make peace with? So really what the Jedi and the Sith need is just like a really good marriage and family therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is going in our graphic novel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my God, it totally is. I love that. (laughs) Hologram into the Jedi Council meeting. Mm -hmm. Be like, I'm going to stop you right there, Mace Windu. And he'll be like, you're going to stop me. Do what? Yeah. We work on it. <laughs> like, okay, no, I hear you. I absolutely hear you, Mace Windu. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause you right there, Yoda. What were you saying? <laughs> let me make sure I'm getting. Am I getting that right? Okay, now Mace, like what you were. Let me repeat it. Are you able to hear? See? Yeah. What but did? Yeah, that's Yoda. What did you hear Mace say? <laughs> <laughs> now all I can think of is one of our first mentors in the field, Phil, where he'd be, he'd go like this with his hand, he'd rub him back and forth. You'd be like, all right, okay, what did, what did you hear him say? Is that what he said? <laughs> God, maybe I missed that. <laughs> I, I am the problem. I, 
I heard him say. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do Yoda voice and it didn't work. That's okay. Uh, you do many good voices. But the Yoda voice is, is a challenging one to do. Um, but then all of that brings us back to the child. And mm. uh, I was just, I really, really wanted as a viewer, as a co-creator of meaning as I was engaging with this program, I just wanted the season to end with Grogu back with Mando. Yes, I, I did. I wanted, what I really wanted was Luke and Grogu leave the room and we're sad. And then there's a beat mm-hmm. and Grogu comes running back in and he has chosen his chosen family. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. That's what I'm I wanted. right now. Mm, yeah. And that's not what happened. No. And then I do remember as I was like all up in my feels about it that um, my partner was trying to be like, well, they're going to do a season three Mm -hmm. and they have to have something for season three. And at the time, because I was very all up in my feels in a very loud voice, I was like, I don't care about that. What I care about is I needed this for me to help me get through the end of this year. Oh, and face whatever's coming in 2021, which now in retrospect, I'm like, look at me, famous last words. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And honestly, like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm alone in this. I think this is what we needed. We needed for Grogu to come back. We needed the final shot to be with Grogu and Mando. Mm-hmm. To have a renewed sense of, like, positive family and hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead, he went with CGI... I've got one working organic hand, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, don't get me wrong. It was a beautiful moment when, when Grogu points at Mando's helmet as if to yeah. say, let me see your face. And Mando takes his oh, helmet off. Because you can see in that moment that, like, Mando is in, he's embracing so much self-energy now. He's no longer... The part of him that holds all the cult beliefs is no longer in charge. No. And mm. the more authentic parts of himself are becoming, you know, more aware. You're taking the lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's asking himself, what's more important? Obeying a cult that I may or may never see again? Or, or showing right. my face and looking with my organic eye into this baby's organic eye like that's more important yeah and that was beautiful it was it was really beautiful but don't give me that and then take it away (laughs) john favreau no that's what john and dave did the boys the boys are back in town And I I get it. I know this is the Mandalorian. This is the Mandalorian story. And Grogu was ostensibly a supporting player in the story of the Mandalorian. I don't wow. like that. If that's season if if that's season three, I am not signing up. <laughs> I am not getting on that X Fighter. I am I'm done. You can drop me off at with Amy Sedaris doing her best supporting <laughs> Weaver hair impersonation. <laughs> I am uninterested in this story of just one lone dude. Because you know what? It's never just one lone dude. That's the beauty 
of the hero's journey is really understanding that it's about everyone that you interact with and engage with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I clearly, clearly still have a lot of strong feelings about this. We'll still get Katie Sack off. That'll be nice. Uh, we will. My hunch, though, even as I'm saying this, is I think they're going to bring the child back. <clears throat> I hope so. I maybe, maybe the child went into a some kind of time warp where they were able to be trained very quickly. And we'll come back as, like, a teenager. Right. Well, and I mean, the thing that we've never... No, I don't know. That would be interesting. A teenage Yoda. Hmm. I've certainly used that analogy in session, but imagining it, it's not quite as cute as the baby version. Um, but I also... It also occurred to me that, like, okay, baby Grogu's going off with CGI Luke. But then, does that mean that he dies when Kylo Ren goes all aggro and blows up the temple? Um, I've heard people chatting that 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 is possible. And I said, no, no. Baby Grogu (laughs) will not get Padawan genocided. I reject that. Mm. No, I'm in, I'm just in a renewed way angry at the writers and creators for leaving us with the shadow of Padawan genocide hanging over us at the end of this season. <laughs> you know what I didn't need? That. <laughs> that. Well, but isn't this just a shittily wrapped gift? A reminder to me and to all of us that this is just one way... If indeed this is the end of Mando and Grogu in terms of how mm-hmm. it's going to be portrayed in the television show, this is simply one way to end it. Mm-hmm. And I need not end it in the stories that I tell about Mando and Grogu. Mm-hmm. Now, is it complicated and really unfair that like literally no one else could use any types of modern technology to tell alternate variations <laughs> of the story of Mando and Grogu because otherwise Disney would come at them so hard? Yes. That is unfair. That is unfair. And, you know, something to work towards uh, getting rid of. But for now, what we can hold on to is that try as they might, you just can't own the collective unconscious. Mm. No. you c- Disney, can they can sue you for crocheting a baby Grogu and selling it on your Etsy shop. But they cannot Mm. sue your mind. (laughs) At least not yet. We're not in Minority Report yet. Um, Brian, if you could, if it would be easy for you to find, I think it'd be great if we did like a clip here from uh, The Aviator when angry Leonardo DiCaprio, who's playing Howard Hughes, is like, Pan Am can't own the sky. That's what my part, who's really upset at Disney, always thinks of when I think about how Disney wants to own story and craft and collect it in the collective unconsciousness. I'm like, they can't own the sky or the collective unconscious. <laughs> Disney can't own my mind. No, even though they try. Mm. 
got another thing coming. Man, Am owns Europe, you know? He's smart. We ought to think about Mexico. Oh, the hell with Mexico, Jack. No one airline should have a monopoly on flying the Atlantic. For Christ's sakes, it just isn't fair. Look, he owns Pan Am. He owns Congress. He owns the Civil Aeronautics Board, but he does not own the sky. Well, what do we want folks to walk out of here with today, friend? What great questions. Um, I would say <laughs> I hope folks are walking out of here with, having had a little giggle because we deserve yeah. it. We, we deserve every giggle. And also mm -hmm. with a little, a little food for thought around some of the deeper, darker corners of the Star Wars franchise um, mm -hmm. because they exist and, th and that's not bad. Right. We need light and shadow. No. Right? Yes. And we need to be able well to said. critique the stories that are meaningful to us. Sometimes we hold them mm -hmm. too close and make them too precious. And they're they're fallible, just like mm -hmm. humans. Well said. Thanks. Um, hmm. And... I would also invite folks to to consider whether or not they're holding a grudge against another human. And if they mm -hmm. are... This made me think, do I need to think about how I'm holding a grudge against CGI Luke Skywalker? The answer is I'm definitely holding a grudge. <laughs> and I'm not ready to let go of it yet. How is it serving you? But... I mean, but the first step is uh, is knowing that it's there. How is it serving me? I think it's serving me in terms of um, motivating me to continue to look at different sides and different parts of the Star Wars canon. Mm -hmm. um, like when I was when I was a kid, like so many kids, right? I loved Star Wars, and um, ironically enough, I was really into this idea of canon mm. and. This was in part because I always, I was like, I was, again, no surprise to anyone, I was really into book learning at a young age. Ah. And I would get really upset when librarians would bring me the abridged version of things. Oh. And so I would be like, I want the real, like, I want the real mm. secret garden and the real little women and the real tale of two cities. I don't want the abridged version and I remember one time I was really excited because I was ordering A Tale of Two Cities in, like, the Scholastic Book Club. And I was too young to realize that, like, they were not going to sell the unabridged version of A Tale of Two Cities in the Scholastic Book Club. But anyway, I circled it and I ordered it and it came and I was just, like, I was so upset <laughs> that it was the unabridged version. And my mom really tried to make me feel better about it. And like it was, it was really sweet how hard she tried. But I just like I was so sparkling about it. I just could not get it go, let, let it go. I was so upset. And so I very much like conflated this idea of something being unabridged with something being canon. And so as an adult, it's something I'm continuing to work through and work with. And so it's very important for me to learn in new ways how to let go of this obsession I used to have with canon and really embrace this multiplicity and multivariation of stories and storytelling. Well, that's, that's such a beautiful hero's journey for you. Oh, thank you. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we stayed very true to what we said we were going to do, and we only talked about the Mandalorian. We did. 
I'm very proud of us. I'm proud of us too. <laughs> Um, um, if if you want to hear me talk even more about this, check out the uh, Victims and Villains podcast. Uh, we talk a little bit more in depth about uh, each episode in season two and just a little bit uh, broad strokes about the Star Wars canon. So that's a, mm -hmm. a good little supplement to this pod. We talked a lot about... Um... Internal Family Systems, The Collective Unconscious, Joseph Campbell, Fandom, Fandom Attachment. We didn't directly talk about play therapy, but we did talk a lot about play. So I'm going to leave it in there. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. CGI Luke could never take us away from you. Join us for our next ep, which may be on the rebirth and renewal in the new year, or it may be on a different topic, based on current events. There are no promises here, only intentions. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell your friends. And just a reminder that our book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fan Fiction to Rewrite Your Life, is now available for pre-order from your favorite booksellers. So order yourself a copy, or two, or three, and share the news with your social networks. And as always, friends, live, live long, long and, and prosper. prosper.